Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for today, for the gift of the opportunity to gather and to worship you, to study your word, to sing praises of worship to you, God, because you are worthy of all worship and praise. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about leadership and about friendship. And God, the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of yours. The Bible tells us that David was a man after your own heart. And God, we aspire to those things. We desire to be those things, but we don't always know how to do that. So help us to understand, give us hearts, give us a desire to grow in your word and in our relationship with you. And God, have us uh, take some time now and let's look thoughtfully at friendships, what they are and what they can be and what you desire for us. And so God, I just pray that uh, the words that are spoken are yours, that they would be what you desire us to hear and to know about you and about who you called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing this series that we're on, and it's a lot of it is really about leadership, and it's supposed to be. I said a couple of weeks ago that all of you, in one way or another, I really don't care how old you are, it doesn't matter what your job is or isn't, all of us, to different people, are seen as leaders. People look to us to help them understand how to get through the day, how to make sense of a situation. Uh, maybe it's that someone comes to you for counseling or advice. It's an opportunity to be a leader. And being a leader is an incredible thing to recognize, and we don't always do that. But the other thing that the Bible talks about is friendships, how important friendships are. So we're going to look at one of those today. But before we do, this is kind of fun first service. We'll see how we compare here at second. Uh, give a shout out if you recognize these TV shows when I say them, okay? You ready? Golden Girls. Ooh, that got some woohoos. Wow. Go girls. How about Cheers? Ooh, mm-hmm. the Golden Girls are winning. Friends. Yeah, okay. The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, okay. How about the Andy Griffith Show? That one, first service too. How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, they didn't know that one either. So it goes to Andy and Barney. Once again, the, the biggest whoop goes to Andy and Barney and the Andy Griffith Show. I could go on to 20 other titles. I mean, we've really just barely gotten started. But they've all got the same thing in common. They've all got the same thing as kind of the baseline for the storyline. What is it? Friendship. Hollywood spends a tremendous amount of money appealing to us through friendship. There must be something there that really matters. Having friends, being a friend, it strikes a deep nerve in us. If it didn't, they wouldn't spend those millions of dollars creating TV shows that they know people would buy advertising for. So what is it about friendship that means so much to us? I can tell you from a biblical standpoint, we were created to be in relationship. We're created to be in relationship with other people, and we're created to be in a relationship with God through Jesus. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. And life experience bears that out. Some people say, you know what? I've never had a real friend in my life. I'm done with them. I'm sick of people. I'm not having any friends anymore. And we build this wall around ourselves. But before you know it, people, people start softening because there's something in us that needs to be in relationships. It's not a bad thing. It's not a weakness. It's part of who we were created to be. So when my youngest daughter, our youngest daughter, Austin, was living in the house, she and Daedri kind of had this ongoing discussion that would uh, percolate up every once in a while. And it was about best friends. 
So us is obviously from a different generation, different mindset, different way of thinking and seeing and understanding the world than Deidre and I are. Asta insisted that anybody that was a good friend was a best friend. If they were a close friend, Mom, I can have 15 best friends if I want. And Deidre, being the logical, reasonable grown-up, said, best friend is singular. You have one best friend. I said, no, I can have as many as I want. That's maybe the way it was when you were a kid. But I can have as many, many best friends as I want to have. And what doesn't really matter is which answer is right. See, Asa's idea was I can include everybody in my best friend list. And Deidre thought that a best friend was kind of an exclusive thing. The point was they recognized that some people are better friends than others. You know and your life experience tells you that some people are better friends than others. The right answer probably isn't so important as the fact that we are all called to be in relationships. So today, we're going to study two best friends in the Bible, Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David are one of those friendships that really only happened because God breathed life into it. They were, they were so incredibly different. But what I want to do today is I want to take some time and take a look at the things that drew them together. What is it that was the foundation, the basis, the reason for this friendship that the Bible spends so much time on. I am learning in my life, and maybe you have too, that the truest friends that I have experienced are not the ones who jump into the picture saying they're going to be my best friends. Because some people jump in and they say, we're going to be best friends. Yeah, that's not usually the ones who are. The truest friends are the ones who show and prove themselves through their words and actions to be best friends. Those people, the ones that are truly from God, they, they kind of separate themselves out. And sometimes God blesses us with surprises that we weren't even looking for. Some quotes on friendship that I found out are, I thought were kind of appropriate. A real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. You've had those friends when things haven't gone well for you. They didn't want to be around you. They couldn't get away from you fast enough. But then you've had those friends when things don't go well. They're the first ones to come in to spend time and say, what can I do for you? How can I help? What do you need? How about a friend is someone who understands your past, believes in your future, and accepts you just the way you are? Some people who call themselves friends want to shape you into who they are and what they look like. And choosing friends becomes something we have to be very thoughtful, very careful about. Friends are those rare people who ask how we are, then wait to hear the answer. So I said at first service, I kind of learned not to ask people how you are. Because when you say, how are you? Most of the time we're in such a hurry that I'm not really ready to listen and they certainly aren't ready to answer. So sure enough, the fifth guy that walks out after first service shakes my hand and he goes, how are you? He says, I'm great, how are you? And his wife is laughing. I said, I know he's putting me up to a test because that guy hasn't looked up once all, all, forever. He's a shy dude. How are you? Do you really care? See, a true friend actually cares. I happen to know that guy just well enough that he really does care. But he is kind of shy. But a true friend asks and then waits to hear the answer. And then, of course, that, that world-famous uh, person that wrote this one, Deidre, uh, she says, friends are the family we get to choose. Life experience proves that to be true. Friends are the family we get to choose. Some people just get so close they become like family. We're going to look at one of those relationships today. And then the Bible, Matthew 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
We're going to talk about the different levels of, that we can give to God and the different levels that we give to a friendship. That's kind of the most extreme example, and we'll get to that later. If you're a note taker, there's going to be a lot to take notes. We're going to have two separate lists and a whole bunch of Bible verses. You've been warned. Let's look at one of those friendships then that, where friends become family. Jonathan and David. We first meet Jonathan, David, uh, Jonathan and David right after David has killed Goliath. We went through that last week because I wanted you to get a glimpse of David's heart. David had this heart that was filled with faith that God can do anything. And David had a warrior's heart. I actually used the phrase when, when David picked up those stones and ran down the valley floor towards Goliath. It was an act of worship because God had already won. He knew that God had already won the battle. Goliath didn't stand a chance because he was facing God. Turns out Jonathan is not terribly different. So David has just killed Goliath. He's standing before King Saul. In 1 Samuel 18, we're going to take a look at how this friendship develops. Chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, And there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. What happened in that moment? The Bible doesn't tell us, so we've just kind of got to take a look at the events around it. What happened in that moment? That there was an immediate bond between them, and Jonathan felt immediately, just instantly connected. You have maybe had that kind of a relationship. Maybe that's the person you married. Maybe it's someone you've been best friends with since high school. See, that's quite a start to a great friendship. Why would the son of a king, a prince, feel that kind of immediate and intense connection to a shepherd boy? What about David? Possibly would have had Jonathan so drawn to him. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I think a really good glimpse, and I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why I believe this, happens in chapter 17, the last verse. See, King Saul had just asked David, Whose son are you, young man? King Saul can't get it around his head. He does not understand how this kid has all this nerve to run out and slay the fearsome giant Goliath when all of the king's fighting men refused. They walked away in fear every single day. And he says, Whose son are you, young man? And David's answer is, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. See, Jonathan and the army had just witnessed David's incredible act of faith and bravery in front of every single man in the Israelite army whose bravery failed in comparison to him. See, this was David's chance. It was his chance to brag. It was his chance to soak up some well-deserved attention. It was his chance to bring home the big reward. Instead, he humbly looks at the king and he says, I am the son of a servant of yours. I'm the son of a servant of yours. He doesn't even give his name. And I believe that what happened in that moment, Jonathan saw a heart in David that was like the heart that Jonathan knew he had inside of him. Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart, but I think Jonathan looked at David, and in that response he said, you know what, I get him. Because nowhere does Jonathan, in all of the passages we have of him, nowhere does he make being the son of a king the most important thing. Jonathan never makes it about him. Jonathan is obedient to his father until his father decides he's going to kill David. And his friendship with David has him being obedient and friend, a friend of his forever. Jonathan was drawn to the heart that he saw in David. So it begs the question, what are you drawn to? 
If we're talking about us having friends and us being friends, what are you drawn to? Have you ever in your life been drawn in a good way to someone who is arrogant and rude and prideful and just filled with hubris? Have you ever been drawn to somebody? I want to get to know that guy. That lady looks like my new best friend. I never have. And I bet you haven't either. In fact, those people repel me just like the ones with false humility or no humility at all. I don't want to be around those kind of people because I don't want to be like those kind of people. If we're not drawn to those kind of folks, why in the world would we want to be like those kind of folks? Jonathan's response then to this immediate connection, he doesn't just feel something, he does something about it. And it's recorded in verse 3, Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. We don't understand how shocking that is. In our world, it's more than just giving somebody the shirt off your back. It's a lot more significant than that. See, the Bible doesn't make the pact clear, but as we study and we read about their relationship, we begin to understand that it's a pact that, you know what? I understand you. I know who you are. I'm here for you forever. Because that's what these two do for each other. It's a binding promise that follows these two into their future. See, we find out that Jonathan ends up protecting David from King Saul, his father, who wanted to kill David. And later, later, David protects and provides for Jonathan's family after Jonathan dies. Whatever that pact was, it was a pact for life. See, but for Jonathan to give David his robe, that, that was significant. The only person in the, in the nation of Israel that would have had a robe similar to that would have been Jonathan's father, King Saul. We hear all about how purple is the color of royalty. The Bible doesn't tell us the color, but more than likely it was. Everybody would have known whoever wore that robe was royalty. And Jonathan gave it to David. And that act, him giving him his royal robe, the robe of the prince, told everybody that Jonathan saw David, the shepherd boy, as an equal. There's a huge lesson for us in friendship there we'll get to in a bit. He gives him the prince's robe for a shepherd's son. And he gives him his royal armor. That's an interesting thing because David had rejected Saul's armor earlier. But David gives him his armor and uh, Jonathan gives David his armor and he, he receives it. I got to believe that's a recognition of his bravery in battle and in a sign to David, he says, I see your warrior's heart. I know who you are. You're a shepherd boy. You don't have armor. You have no way of getting armor. I'm going to give you mine. And David took it. He had already proved himself to be a, a warrior of faith and bravery. Jonathan, no one had to worry about that. Jonathan had made his point prior to David and Goliath ever happening. The men of Israel knew that the king's son was a warrior. And we're going to go through that passage because I think that this passage helps us to understand the connection that Jonathan saw in David. So if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel 14. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Stop outside after the, uh, the service. So the Bible has gone on chapter 14. It starts out talking about where this war is happening. The Israelites and the Philistines are at war again. They were at war all the time. And it gives specific locations. You could go there today if you wanted to. And it's not the rolling hills of much of the desert. There's steep valleys and steep cliffs. It's making it clear this is really, really rough, hostile terrain. Jonathan has an idea because nothing's happening. The battle's not going on. 
And he looks to his armor bearer, and he's still young at this point. He said, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. He doesn't just see them as the enemy. He sees them as the enemy of God. That's why he uses that word. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, perhaps, I love this word, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Perhaps. Doesn't say God called him into battle. Jonathan says, perhaps God will act on our behalf. Maybe. If you've been around here very long, you hear me hear the phrase, you hear me say the phrase, what if? What if we were to do this? Maybe God would bless it. What if we were to do that? See, we've got some funnels that, that help us decide what we're going to do and what we're not going to do around here. Uh, one of those is this idea of we're called to reach the people in this area, but we're not called to do everything. There's other ministries and other churches that are called to do things much more effectively than we are. But if it fits into the, into the vision that God has for us, I love saying, what if? What if we were to do this and God blesses it? It comes from this passage. What if we were to try something crazy that's in line with God's vision? What if, what if God actually brings us to a 70-acre campus? When we said yes to this place, there was about 250 of us. What I'm looking forward to is the answer to that what if. What is God going to do in us and with us and through us? What if? Jonathan doesn't have a promise. Jonathan just has a plan. Probably tells us uh, coming up here why it is that he's not a commander, right? Verse 7, do you think, I do what you think is best, the armor bearer says. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. You've got to wonder if in his mind he's going, Jonathan, you're nuts. This is not a good plan. But you know what? The armor bearer shows commitment. All right then, Jonathan told him. Here's our plan. We will cross over there and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are, we'll kill you, then we'll stop and we won't go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. Now, it might be that this is why Jonathan's not a commander at this point. But Jonathan is saying, okay, God, here's what it's going to be. It's going to be one of two answers to our walking up there. And they're not going to hide. They're going to make themselves fully known. So he's going forward in faith, just like David did. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach him a lesson. And you got to believe Jonathan went, yes! Just like David knew that it was already over. He says to his armor bearer, come on, climb right up behind me. For the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. That talks about how steep the cliff is. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. What happened to Goliath? He fell toward David. And his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over a half an acre. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And then an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. What if? What if we dare to step out and trust God? What if you as a person dare to step out of what's comfortable and trust God? What if we as a church gather together and we say, what if, and we dare to step out together? See, that's Jonathan's heart. Jonathan's heart is so much like David. He's a man of, young man of faith, and he's a man of incredible bravery. He's a warrior. See, they're so similar that when, when Jonathan gives David his armor, Saul takes a look at David and he puts him in charge of the whole army. And nobody complains. 
all the fighting men of Israel begin to follow Jonathan. And I got to believe that their thought is, you know what? He took down the giant that none of us dared to tackle. I'm not going to argue with him. Not sure what kind of a commander is, but he's going to follow. We're going to follow him. And then what we find out is an important lesson that leadership is lonely. Leadership is a place where you can fall under attack. Leadership is a place where even the people who say that they're close to you sometimes are not. Leadership is a lonely place. And friendship, true friendship, is more important than ever. And remember I started out saying that depending on where you are in life and what you're doing, all of us, every one of you, is a leader to somebody. Which means every one of you, friendship is important for. So note takers, here's where we're going to start. There's going to be a list of notes, key points on true friends. And then we're going to have a a subsection in a little bit for even more notes. Talk about true friendship between Jonathan and David. A true friend, number one, is blind to power, position, and wealth. A true friend doesn't care about those things. A true friend cares about your heart. A true friend cares about your well-being. Jonathan didn't care about what David didn't have. He, he didn't care, excuse me, about who he was not. He cared about his heart. Jonathan cared about David's heart and his, his humility, not his lack of wealth, not his lack of power, not his lack of position. He didn't make a pact with him contingent on David becoming king. Jonathan made a pact with him because of who he saw David to be. Number two, a true friend is about sacrifice, not convenience. We see in First John or First Samuel, excuse me, eighteen four, Jonathan gave David some of his most prized possessions. He didn't say, "I can have more made." He didn't say, "Dad will give me another robe." He gave him the things that showed he was the prince. Jonathan sacrificed. His identity as the only son to King Saul by giving those things to David. David then became the next king. This is not the only selfless act of sacrifice we see from Jonathan. It's part of his heart. And what you're going to hear me ask you throughout this thing is, what about your heart? Who do people know you to be? Who does God know you to be? Who do your friends know you to be? See, got me thinking about our lives, about our attitudes, about our stuff about our attachment to the things that we say that we own, our attachment to money, the thing that can cause so many problems. And I got me to realizing there's there's three kinds of giving as I'm thinking about it. There's three ways that we approach friendship, but they're the same three ways that we approach money. The, The parallel between them is just kind of uncanny. So what describes how you feel about friendship and how you just, how you feel about giving to God? Number one. Here's the first option. Comfort is giving what's easy. It's easy to be a friend when things are going good. It's easy to be there for somebody when their life and their world and their position sweeps you along and makes your life more enjoyable. Comfort is giving the same five or twenty-five or hundred bucks a week you've given forever because you're not going to miss it after all. Comfort is telling your friend, hey, I'm, I'll be there for you. Whatever you need, you let me know. And then not answering when you hear that they're in trouble. Letting it go to voicemail or just let them throw a text your way. See, comfort is when we know that we can afford more, but we don't give more because we just don't want to. We can afford more time. We can afford more money. But no, we're comfortable. Comfortable friends are a lot like comfortable Christians. They're around when things are easy. But when the relationship requires effort, When it takes a little bit of time or sacrifice or money, 
They're the ones that are gone. It's a, it's a relationship of convenience. It's not a relationship of depth, and it certainly isn't one of commitment. Cain, in Genesis, gave out of comfort. He gave what was easy. But true friendship, true friendship, shows biblical fruit of the Spirit. True friends. There is a display of fruit of the Spirit that comes out of that relationship. Second type is generosity. It's a little bit more. You're a little more committed to the relationship, whether it's to God and your church or whether it's to a friend. It's giving what you can do without. Generosity is giving what you can do without. It's the extra that you have. Maybe 30 minutes a week is easy, an hour is a little bit tough, but you're feeling generous, you'll do that. Generosity is having more than you need and recognizing and giving away some of the extra. Back to Genesis again. Abel gave out a generosity. Third one. Sacrifice is when you have to give something up. Sacrifice costs you something. Sacrifice isn't convenience. It's not generosity about something you won't miss. Sacrificial relationships require us to give what we need ourselves. To sacrifice something that we need, that we count on, that we expect to have and give it away, whether it's to God or to someone else. Because we realize there's a higher purpose to our lives and to our stuff. Do you want an example? While you were still a sinner, Jesus gave His life for you on the cross. That was sacrificial. It cost Him His life. It wasn't a contingent deal. If you become a believer, I will die for you. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ gave His life for us. Sacrificial giving. Do you give to your friends and to God what's easy, what's extra? Or do you give in such a way that you're okay living without so that friends or God can live with? Sacrificial giving is really at the heart of what will make or break our capital campaign. You know, we're talking about the ice and the inconvenience and and people having to go to great lengths so that we can be safe on a Sunday morning. And you know, God is the one who brought us 70 acres. We didn't go out looking for it. We went out looking for 12. But I think what God put on us is a what if. What if you trust me? What if you go where I'm leading you? What what if you're willing to say yes when you don't know how it's going to happen? It's going to require sacrificial giving. It's going to be require sacrificial giving for our capital campaign to be successful because we're giving to people we may not even know yet. Not just to the, to the youngest people who we need safe spaces for, but people like you and I who don't know Jesus. And if we can pull this off, if we can do what God's leading us to do, we have no idea what it is that God can do with us, through us, or in us. See, a true friend, a true Christian, asks, what can I do for you? The comfortable friends, the convenient friends, the easy friendships say, here's what I need you to do for me. Because you've got those people that are always asking. They're insatiable. You say once, they're going to ask for 20 more things. You can tell them you don't have time. They're going to keep on asking because you said once. That's not a true friend. James 2.23, Abraham is called God's friend because Abraham believed God. Would God call you a friend? Do you believe God in a way that your life shows that you trust Him? Third one, a true friend. So now we're back to the main list again. A true friend speaks well of you before others. This is one of those hard lessons that we have to learn. 1 Samuel 19, starting in verse 1. 
Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Saul was jealous. People loved David. He had a kind heart and he was a good man. And they sang his praises because he was a mighty warrior in battle and King Saul was jealous because he was a weak king. (coughs) But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned David, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. This is to the king who's just called for his assassination. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. The son is actually confronting the father. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant? And how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result. You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. And Saul listened to Jonathan. A true friend, a true friend, is your fiercest defender. It doesn't matter who is saying what. They will speak well of you when others delight in gossip and telling stories about you. A true friend will always look for the best in all that you say and all that you do, and that is what they will share with others. A true friend doesn't use your relationship to get themselves a step ahead or or get themselves a seat at the gossip table. They don't use you as a, a ladder for their career advancement. A true friend always looks out for you and speaks well for you. You don't want people gossiping about you, so why in the world would you gossip about someone else? There's this thing in the Bible that says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. How about we take that and say, say unto others or say about others what you would hope they would say about you. It doesn't start with other people. It starts with us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, what a friend or a person says about you when you're not around speaks volumes to the loyalty of their friendship and them as a true friend. A true friend is loyal at all times. Jonathan was loyal to David even when it could have cost him greatly in front of his father. Jonathan stood up to King Saul and said, why would you kill him? He's never done anything wrong to you. Number four, a true friendship is rooted in shared love of God and each other, and it encourages faith in us. Jonathan and David loved each other with a brotherly love rooted in their love for God. One of the things, you don't have to look too far on the Internet if you take a look at the friendship between Jonathan and David, you're going to find somebody who thinks they're smarter than everybody else in the world, that said Jonathan and David was not a normal friendship. It wasn't a brotherly friendship. They didn't love him as friends. That it was a a homosexual relationship. Not true. Horrible biblical scholarship. There's not one hint in this text about anything like that, but people don't always want to speak well of people who have done well. And so if you go back and look at it, Jonathan and David both had got married. Both of them had families. On and on and on, it talks about them having a brotherly love for each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage each other and build one another up. Jonathan and David did that for each other. Here we are thousands of years later, and there's people trying to undercut them for the power of their relationship. See, what they did for each other was build each other up. They encouraged each other. They did it in word and in action. Do you have friends? 
Do you have friends who encourage you in your relationship with Jesus and who build you up? Do you do that for other people? Because if you don't have those people around you that say, you know what, I I love being around Him, I love being around Him, I always feel encouraged. You know what, they've, they've always got a compliment. They always see something good about my world. My world's a mess. You know, they seem to love me no matter what. They love me on my worst days. Do they say you, they, you make them feel better when they're around you? Can you lovingly challenge someone to grow in their faith without pointing out their sin and their shortcomings and, and remind them of how you're a much better Christian than they are? Seriously, you'd think that's something that's kind of easy to laugh off. You have no idea how many people like that I deal with. Number five, a true friend loves you all the time, not just on your best days, but in and through your worst days. A true friend loves you all the time. Your life circumstance doesn't matter to them. You matter to them. Your heart matters to them. Your well-being matters to them. A true friend is nothing short of a treasure. Jonathan and David were a treasure to each other. And we get that goofed up in our world. Life isn't about acquaintances. TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, they're all about the number of friends you have, the number of followers I have, the number of likes you have, the number of whatevers you have. It's got nothing to do with real friends. Nothing at all. If all of those people are following you, where are you leading them? Does anybody here, let's see what second service does. Does anybody here actually physically know and have met all of the people you're friends with on Facebook? Exactly. No way. You've got nine friends. Wow, we had three that just raised their hands. We need to talk after this. Ten friends. Here's the thing. For most of us, we get so excited about followers and looking at the stuff of other people's life that we've forgotten what real friendship is. And if you've got all those friends, you've got all those followers, where are you leading them? Because as a leader, you're leading them somewhere. Who are you showing them you are? What are you telling them matters to you? See, that's part of our world's problem today. Young people have this incredibly confused understanding of what a real friend is because their parents got started on Facebook first. What a friend we have in Jesus. That, that's a great place to start. A friend isn't someone who you, you, you spill your life out to on, on social media and, and get comments and you hope that the majority of them are good. That's not friendship. That's acquaintances. That's people out there that, that are a face on a screen. Proverbs 18.24 speaks to that. It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jonathan and David are a real-life example that we've got in God's Word of the value and importance of godly relationships. Here's where it's going to get real. Guys, men, do you have one man in your life who knows you? Do you have one man that you can go to and lean on when things get rough? Do you have one man in your life that you can call who you know is going to love you and not judge you when you really mess up? When you sin one of those things you don't even want to tell anybody about. Man, do you have one guy that you can go to and talk about that stuff with? Everything that I read online that I could find in studies and churches and elsewhere says the answer for almost all of us is no. But ladies, what about you? I'm not talking ladies you got hobbies with, things you like to hang out and do. Do you have one other woman in your life who knows you? Who knows not just your heart, but your actions? Who knows how you think 
what you really want to say. What you think about the people that you're kind and quiet about, but you've really got a different opinion. You maybe do a good job of not gossiping. Guys, maybe you do a good job of not gossiping at work, but you have one man or one woman who knows what your heart really is about. If you don't, you're missing out on that whole notion of what God created us for to truly be a friend. Is there anybody out there that say that you are that friend to them? I would encourage you in the strongest way to pray that God would bless you with one true friend. And it starts with you being willing to be a sacrificial friend to them. It doesn't start with you saying, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. It starts with praying about it and finding that one person, that one man for men, that one woman for woman. Sorry, you can't cross those spouses. I'm not talking about spouses right now. Because sometimes, guys, you need a man to talk to about your wife. Ladies, I know for a fact you need a woman to talk to about your husband. But we're afraid of doing it because we've all been burned. But in God, it's possible. Jonathan and David show us that. If you're willing to be a sacrificial friend, not, not just a comfortable friend, it'll change your life. The recently canceled Dr. Seuss had a great statement. He says, to the world you may be just one person, but to one person you may be the world. Are you the world to one person? You hear us say around here quite a bit, you may be the only Bible someone ever reads. We give them out because we want everyone to have one. But you, your life, how you act and interact with someone may be the only Bible that they ever read in their whole life. Your life and your actions and your words and your friendship. Maybe the only connection to Jesus they have. Are you a comfortable friend or a sacrificial friend? Because that will help them understand this Jesus that you say you believe in. What an opportunity and what a responsibility. If you and your friendships are the Bible that someone else is reading, what does your life say about what you believe in God? What does your life say about the importance of living sacrificially for God? Living in a way that you sacrificially give to the work of God on earth because it's important to you. Why? Because that person who doesn't know Him, who's reading you like the Bible, is looking to see how important God really is to you. Not what you say, but what you do. Why does it matter? Because eternity is in the balance. Ours and a whole lot of people we haven't met. And that's the drive behind this whole capital campaign of ours is meeting people and creating spaces and places that we can interact with them on their terms to talk to them about Jesus. The reason we never stray from the Bible is because we'll want to become more like Jesus, not more like somebody else. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. To submit our lives to Jesus then means to give Him all that we are and all that we have. Not to hold back, but they say, God, I believe in your plan for my life and that it's better than what I've been doing on my own. See, that's the example that God wants us to be to the world. Not how well can we do it on our own, but what it is that we're allowing God to do in us and with us and through us. I forgot this at first service, but we got this thing up there, God is at work. And that's cool to see around the world, but you need to realize God is at work in you. And the only one that's going to stop God at work in you is you. So men, if you don't have a guy, ladies, if you don't have a lady, be very prayerful. Ask God to bring someone to you 
that you can have that kind of a relationship that Jonathan and David had. It really will change your world. Let's pray. God, thank you for this example of Jonathan and David. It's encouraging, but it's also kind of hard. Because most of us look at those guys and, you know, man, we might feel like warriors sometimes, but we don't get chances to act it out. We don't always get chances to have a heart that's humble and loyal and not get laughed at. It's hard for us, men and women, to be vulnerable because we've all been burned. We've all been hurt. We've all had people who said they were friends and they'll be there with, for us that walked away. All of us have had, had relationships with people and a lot of them have been in churches where people have said one thing and they've done something else. God, it's hard to be vulnerable. To be sacrificial is even more hard. So God, help us, help us to see how real you are. How much Jesus loves us. Because God, that, that's where we can begin to trust again. That's where we can begin to believe. To see that you are ever present and ever faithful. You're a promise maker and a promise keeper. And like your word says, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much you want to have a relationship with us. God, help us to believe in you. And help us to live in a way that shows that we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last thing I got to say to you is this. I'm going to ask you in the days ahead to pray that God brings to you a man or a woman from Him that you can grow a friendship that they value God as much as you do. And, and maybe you're at the point where you're just beginning to figure it out. Maybe God blesses you with someone who values God more than you do and helps you grow. Someone who will encourage you and support you and uplift you and challenge you. Because that's what's so important. After all, here's the deal. You are and you will be known by the friends you keep. And your beliefs and decisions and actions in life will be shaped by them. That makes your friends really important. Choose them wisely.